always do this, but sometimes I'm just kind of <clears throat> hanging out in the back and, and just kind of observing. I'm, I'm not stalking you. I'm just watching you um, during communion and just kind of praying for you and what God wants to do uh, in and through us today. And I, I was just sensing at both services today, um, I just don't know if... It, we live in a culture that's really connected with social networking and cell phones. Oh, everybody's so connected and you feel so close. And I just, I, I just feel like God wants you uh, to know today that um, if you're just feeling lonely in any way, I think God just wants you to know that he sees you today, um, that you're not anonymous, <laughs> that whether you came here by yourself or you live alone or you are connected with a lot of people but you don't have any true Friends, I think God just wants you to know that he sees you and he wants to remind you this morning of who you are, that you're a son or daughter, and that he has great plans for you. I think he just wants you to know that. So breathe that in. If that doesn't mean anything to you, just it's probably yesterday's pizza for me. But uh, if it does mean something for you, uh, receive that and, and breathe that in uh, this morning. So as we prepare our hearts, uh, let's pray. Let's ask God to be with us this morning. God, we thank you that you give us not only an identity that we can live out of, but you give us a purpose. And uh, it's by your purpose that you drew us here this morning, not by an, an accident to just sit here and receive a sermon or receive some information, but, God, for you to change our lives. And so we invite your spirit to come and work and speak to us very clearly, very personally this morning. Jesus, we just give you full permission to do whatever you want to do this morning in our lives. God, expand our minds, expand our hearts so we can receive more of you. Increase our faith. God, make uh, us more and more like the clay and you the potter and mold and shape us into your people. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. If you're uh, just joining us for the first time or, or uh, just getting kind of plugged back in here, I want to remind you we're in the middle of this series of messages called Five Challenging Questions for the Church. We're wrestling with some of the deeper questions of the faith that people are asking, like, what are you going to have lunch for lunch today? I'm just kidding. Not questions like that. Deeper questions. And oftentimes in the church, we shy away from questions. We think, well, if, 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 I, if I'm doubting, if I'm struggling with something, then that must be bad. It's really important to know that the opposite of faith is not doubt. <laughs> the opposite of faith is disbelief. Okay? There's lots of room for doubt. There's lots of room for questions and struggling with things and wrestling with things in the church. I mean, one of Jesus' own disciples, his nickname is Doubting Thomas, right? How would you like to have that for your nickname? No, I believe, I believe, right? But that's what he struggled with, so it's real, right? And so we don't back away from those things. And so the series started on Easter with the big question. Do you remember Easter? Wasn't Easter great? You know what the best thing about Easter is? It's today. It's tomorrow. It's Tuesday. It's Wednesday. It's every, every day is Easter, right? There's resurrection all around us. Every day is Easter, right? Okay, I just want to make sure you're with me. Okay, good, right? We're resurrection people. Every single day we have new life in Christ. And we, answer, we ask this question, is there life after death? And I'm just going to kind of put Jesus' own words in my own John International version here. Is there life after death? Jesus says, oh yeah. Oh yeah, there's life after death. And it's not just someday off in the future. It is, and it goes on forever, but life eternal starts now. And so we're diving into some of these deeper, more difficult questions, and it brings us to our question of today. 
And the deep issue, the, 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 the struggle that we're facing today and the question we're going to ask is, is the church more than a building? And some of you are thinking, you got to be kidding me. John, of all the questions, right, of all the deep issues that we could be, we should talk about war, we should talk about disease, we should talk about AIDS, we should talk about uh, world peace and, and hunger and all these big issues. Why are we talking about the church, right? Why, why of all these questions, don't you think we should tackle one of those? Isn't Jesus interested in those things? Yes. He absolutely is. And we need to talk about those things, of pain and suffering. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Why does God allow suffering in our lives? And yes, we're going to talk about all of those things, and Jesus is very interested in those, but it doesn't take you long to look around in your life and realize that we live in a dark, dark world, right? There's a lot that we look around the world and we say things are not the way that they should be. You can just look around. I mean, you can read about it in the Sunday paper, right? If only I had... Wow. I was just about to say, if only I had a Sunday paper. That wasn't planned at all. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Good aim. You just, you know, look around the, the paper. This is just this morning. I just stopped at the gas station and got this. So you just kind of look around. Oh, something about George Niang from Iowa State. We don't need that. Um, <laughs> come on. Just getting uh, to, the, to the rest of the paper here. Front page. Uh, erosion is going to cause billion dollars in loss. Something about the farmer's market. That's exciting. Uh, scandal in the government. Police officer killed. Uh, youth. Homeless. Minnesota teen laid out plan to attack his high school. Should I keep going or do you get the picture, right? I can keep going and go. This is just the front section. There's the whole rest of the paper I didn't bring up. And the danger is that we do that every single night on the evening news and every single day in the paper you can read about that stuff and you can go, well, John, you see, that's, uh, that's world and national news, right? That doesn't really have anything to do with me. It doesn't really affect me. Well, it's okay to remain ignorant until you start looking around or you can just look around our city. Gang violence. Another teenager senselessly killed. Families falling apart. Kids wandering the streets, homeless. Way too much cancer recently. Way too much cancer. And it's easy to say, oh, well, cancer is some big disease until cancer affects you or somebody that you know. Then it's cancer. Darkness. Losing a loved one. Abuse and violence in marriages. And that's just this past week. What I've heard. So at the risk of being a Debbie Downer pastor, like, thanks a lot, John, right? I just want to ask you, like, as I read those things and list those things off this morning, if something doesn't, like, shift in your heart, if something doesn't stir in your heart, it might be time to ask God for a heart check. Okay? We're the church. <laughs> if anybody's supposed to care, it's us. <laughs> we are created to care. So why do we talk about the church? 
John, you just listed off all those things that we should be talking about and addressing. So why talk about the church? Well, two reasons. One, very practical, kind of interesting reason. Almost every single week, at least once a month, if not every single week, for six years since I started here, I have been asked the question. Somebody comes up, good-natured, good intention. They come up to me and say, Pastor John, hey, uh, it's first. How's things going to Hope Des Moines? Great, good. So when are you guys going to build a church? That's like first question. When are you going to build a church? As if somehow, and I'm guessing that they mean a building. Just going with that, right? And so I'm guessing that's what they mean. And so I'm thinking, okay, they must mean that's sort of like the end game, right? As if that's the goal, that once, once we have a building, that if you're a successful church, that you plant yourself and you start growing and then people give a lot of money and then you build a big building and then you can just be there and arrive and kick your feet up and say, we've arrived, we're done. As if that's the goal, right? Have you built a building yet, for pity's sakes? Aren't you growing? And that's the question. And several years ago, I, I just kind of started thinking about that question and playing it in my head and then looking at what's going on around the neighborhoods of where we meet here for worship and looking at the darkness that's around us. And I thought, you know what? Maybe there's more to being a church than that. Maybe success for Hope Des Moines is going to look very different than that. Because maybe what the city of Des Moines needs is not only just more church buildings, maybe what the city of Des Moines needs the most is the love of Jesus Christ flowing through his church, the body, into every single neighborhood of Des Moines. Amen? Maybe that's what it needs the most. So why do we talk about the church in the most important question series? Well, it's because the darkness is very real, but so is the light. And there's two questions that we can ask in response to that. When the darkness surrounds us, when the darkness is all around us, there's two questions we can ask. We can ask, why is it so dark? (laughs) Why do all these things keep happening? Or we can ask, why isn't the light shining brighter? And I don't know if you notice right now, you can't really see the light, right? If it was a little bit darker, then you could. There's a little bit right there. It's so bright in this gym, right? Light is only visible in the dark. Light was created to be in the darkness. In fact, when Jesus talked about his vision for us as his followers, of the many identities that he gave us, he said, you are salt and you are light. Not like you can be light if you want to, but you are. This is who I created you to be in a dark, dark world. I created you, the church, my people, to be light. In fact, he put it this way from Matthew chapter 5. This should be familiar to you. Let's read it nice and loud together. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. I mean, you remember the song, right? Everybody put your finger up. You're not too cool for this, put, right? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Okay, pause right there. Skip to the second verse. Hide it under a bushel. No. <laughs> I love watching adults sing that song. It's like the serious adult version of this little light. Hide it under a bushel. No, no, absolutely not. No, right? No. Why can't we hide it under a bushel? Because you hide it, right? If if you're not in the darkness, your light 
can't shine. Light is only visible in the darkness. It reminds me of a story I heard about Robert Louis Stevenson. You ever heard of him? He's a kind of a famous author from the 19th century. And the story is told when he was really young, when he was a little boy, he would love to sit by the window in his parents' house at nightfall. And believe it or not, there wasn't always like digital automated lights that go on in the street at night, that there was a, uh, a guy that would, a lamp lighter, and he would light the gas street lamps up and down. So it was completely dark. And he would watch this guy go out there with his torch, and he would set up his uh, little ladder, and he'd climb up the pole, and then he would light the lamp, and he would climb back down the ladder and go to the next pole, set up his ladder, climb up, light the lamp pole, and down the street he would go until it was all illuminated. But it was just this little beam of light in the darkness. And he would watch this almost every night, and one night... Uh, Robert's father came in and saw him just, just intrigued, just staring out the window, just watching with his jaw dropped open. And his father come in and says, Robert, what are you looking at? Why, what, what is this thing that, that, that you see? Why are you, what's so fascinating about it? And he's watching the guy light the lamps down the street, and the young Stevenson said, Daddy, it's incredible. I'm watching that man out there punch holes in the darkness. I wonder if that's what Jesus was getting at with our identity in Matthew chapter 5. If we're not in the darkness, we can't be a light in the darkness. If you're holed up in a building seven nights a week thinking that you've arrived as a church, you can't be a light in the darkness. The church has to be more than a building because our world... Our country, our city needs healthy, dynamic, radical churches now more than ever. And I'm not talking about buildings. I'm not talking primarily about buildings. If that was the case, go ahead and flip those on. The, the, the landscape of Christianity would look much different. It'd be light everywhere. There would be no darkness if the church was truly being the church. If we had this figured out by now, the church, not just here in Des Moines, would look different, but across the country. For some of you math and statistics geeks out there, I did some research uh, this past week, and I came across some ideas here that make for a challenging time in our culture. You start looking at some of these statistics, and it doesn't take long to realize that less and less people are interested in coming to the light, and so we as the church have to find new ways to bring the light to them. In the past few decades, there's been this growing suspicion of institutions. Have you noticed? I mean, have you ever heard of maybe a celebrity or a public figure or somebody in the government having a public moral failure in the last decade, right? A few, right? We're all susceptible to that. We're all broken. And because of that and many other reasons, people are skeptical of institutions, including the church. Go back even 50 years ago, 100 years ago, if you had a deep question about your faith, if you were struggling with something, where would you go? To the church, which was at the center of town, which everybody built their lives around, and it was their number one priority, and you built the rest of your schedule around weekly worship. That was the priority. If you had a question, you would go and talk to the pastor who supposedly has it all figured out, which is not true and is still not true today. What do you do now if you have a question? I'm just going to ask my friends on Facebook. Right? Google it, right? You would be surprised how many deep questions of faith are on. You, know, you type it in on Google and then it kind of pops up what people have asked. It's amazing, right? 
Where do you go when you have questions? Well, the landscape is changing. And this has led to, and these are just some recent statistics here from 2013, the adult church attendance in the United States is at 18% and dropping. 18%. Polk County, 21%. So the next time somebody says, you know, I think Lutheran Church of Hope is just a little bit too big. Uh, I think there's enough people here now. I'll say, no, thank you. (laughs) I completely disagree with you. (laughs) There's tens and thousands of people living in these neighborhoods right around us that don't know Jesus. Until that's not the case, our work is not done. Non-affiliated. Non-affiliated is the fastest growing religious affiliation in America. (laughs) That has doubled in the last 15 years. One in five adults and one in three young adults under 30 claim no religious affiliation. And more than half of all Christian teens and 20-somethings are leaving active involvement in the church. One out of every two. Praise God that here at Hope, we are kind of the exception to the rule. Over 300 confirmation students, teenagers, confirming their faith this weekend. So praise God for that. Amen? Praise God. It's not about us, it's what God's doing, right? We're punching holes in the darkness. More and more we're seeing people that are totally interested in Jesus, but they're not finding him in our traditional church cultures, which as Pastor Richard talked about last week, are traditionally judgmental, critical, hypocritical. People are still searching for the light, but they just don't know where to find it. It's kind of blinded by religion. How do we get to the core of it? There's two ways we can respond to this. You look at all the darkness around it. You look at these statistics and you're saying, John, this is great. Thanks for a cheery message this Sunday. And there's two ways we can respond. We can be angry. We can be disheartened. We can be depressed. We can be frustrated. We can be angry or bitter. Or we can see this as one of the most exciting times to be the church in the history of the church. 500 years ago, there was a man named Martin Luther whose passion it was to get the Bible, to get God's word in the hands of ordinary people. And what followed was something called the Reformation, which much of the Protestant church is here because of, and it's why we have something called the Lutheran Church. What would it look like if God was calling us to continue the Reformation 500 years later, to get discipleship and mission in the hands of ordinary people like you and I that don't think that we have what it takes to punch holes in the darkness, which is absolutely false because the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of every single one of you this morning. Do you know that? Or is that just kind of some churchy language that we throw around? That's God's word. It's truth for us this morning. So how do we live different in light of that? This is the most exciting time to be the church. It's a challenging time, but it's an exciting time. It's almost like we have a new frontier on our hands. When I say the name frontier, what do you think of? So when I say frontier, what do you think of? Alaska, the Wild West, right? I grew up loving Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone, right? Maybe Lewis and Clark. They're exploring the frontier, pushing the boundaries of what's out there, right? There's this commercial about Frontier that came out from none other than Levi's, big supporter of the church. Um, that was a joke, by the way. They're, they're not really. Don't go home thinking that. Um, this, you never know where God's going to pop up in this minute and a half commercial for jeans. 
which you would never know is for genes, listen about halfway through in this video when the narration starts and see if there's something very similar about what they're talking about in this video about frontiers and what we're faced with right now as the church in the world that we live in. Let's take a look. Makes you want to go buy a pair of jeans, right? (laughs) Makes me want to go be the church. Did you hear the last line there? Go forth. Maybe that's our call as well. I love what the video said. People think there aren't frontiers anymore, but maybe the frontiers are all around us, and they're not on the plains of the West. They're in the streets of downtown Des Moines. Maybe that's the new frontier for us to explore. So what do we do with this new reality? How do we be the church in a dark world? And some of us would think we need the next new, hip, trendy, relevant idea. We need to think outside the box. I don't think we need to think outside the box. I think we need to start thinking inside the book again. So if you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend just a little bit of time today. Acts chapter 1. We come to the book of Acts, and just like all of us today, there is a group of Jesus followers sitting around. Easter has happened. Jesus has come back from the dead, and they're sitting around going, what's next? <laughs> now, now what do we do? Jesus, that was awesome. Like, you died and rose again, and now what do we do as followers of Jesus? Some of you might be thinking that this morning. God, what do you, what do you want me to do? What's next? And Jesus responds, you are. You're what's next. In fact, look at verse 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So just pause right there a second. If this was all we had, if Acts chapter 1 was all we had, which is all they had, right? There wasn't a manual on how to be the church. They didn't exist yet, right? This is who they are. What would you think the church is, just based on that passage? Well, first of all, you've got to look at the context. Number one, followers of Jesus. You may want to write this down. We're going to spend some time on this. Followers of Jesus. That's all we know at this point from what we've read so far. They're gathered there in the upper room of Jerusalem, and I guarantee that if you went to any one of these people and you asked, like, so what's your deal? Like, tell me your story. Uh, they would say something like this. Um, we were fishing one day by the seashore, and it was smelly because we're fishermen. And this rabbi came up. His name was Jesus, and he said, come follow me, and I'll not just teach you to fish for fish. I'll teach you to fish for people, change people's lives. And we started following him, and nobody ever loved us like he did, and nobody ever served us. And he, like, he knew me inside and out. This, this Jesus, he knew me better than I know myself. And he gave me a purpose for my life. And he set me free from, from the brokenness of my past. And then we thought all was lost when he w- was killed and crucified, uh, nailed to a tree, nailed to a cross. And he actually died and was placed in a tomb with a giant stone in front. And then three days later, he was gone. And we thought he was gone. But then we were walking along the road one day on our way to Emmaus. And He showed up and started talking to us and cooked us breakfast. He cooked us some fish, and there he was, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That's that's it. That was the church, a bunch of people who were witnesses. So what is the church? All we know right now, followers of Jesus. But you keep reading. What is Jesus essentially saying in this passage? What is he telling them to do? Go, right? 
You have a green light, go. Do you ever have that feeling when you've been sitting at a red light for a long time and your, your foot's just on the gas and then it finally turns green and you're like, like you're so excited to go? That's the upper room. That's Acts chapter 1. Jesus says, go forth, go and do what? Do what? Be my witnesses, right? So followers of Jesus who have been sent on a mission. That's what we know so far. That's what Acts chapter 1 is telling us, to be my witnesses. Now, when you think about the word witness, if you witnessed a car accident, what do you know? What does that mean if you're a witness? You watched it, you experienced it personally for yourself, right? You were there. You probably don't know all the details. You probably don't have it all figured out. You don't know the names of everybody yet. You don't know the exact you know, angle and geometry of how the, the cars hit each other. All you know is what you've seen. And Jesus says, you don't have to have it all figured out. Go be my witnesses means you're not pointing people at yourself. You're pointing to them, to me, to the real deal, to the one that does have the answers. You are my witnesses. What if our mission in this new frontier of the church, what if our mission wasn't to try to convince people of truth or try to to guilt them into things or tell them that they're wrong and we're right, but what if it was just telling the story of what we've experienced? I met this guy named Jesus, and this is who I was, this is what Jesus did in my life, and this is who I am now. The greatest tool for sharing your faith that you have is you and your story. Because it's really hard to argue with somebody whose life has been transformed. (laughs) How can you argue with that? This is what Jesus has done in my life. You can't really argue with that. For many of you, the greatest tool you have to sharing your faith is you. Broken, messed up, but never the same. So what is the church? Followers of Jesus who have been sent on a mission. And finally, what's the very first thing that Jesus told them in this passage? What's the very first thing? Before all the mission stuff, what's the first thing he said? Verse 8. What does it say? You will receive power, right? Don't do this by yourself. Wait for the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. I got a glimpse of this last weekend. A bunch of us were down working at our new building, and we're trying to break up these huge concrete um, kind of holders that they were holding the big light poles for the parking lot. So like, they're like this tall and this wide, just concrete. And a bunch of us guys were out there, you know, sporting the gun show. And uh, we had these sludge hammers. We're like, I know how to do this, right? And so we've got all these sludge hammers. Like 20 minutes, we're just banging at this thing, just making little dents here and there, right? But my back's just killing me, but I'm a guy, so I can't admit that it hurts. And so I'm just going over and over again, taking wax at this, and we are just exhausted. We can't hardly do anything by ourselves. And then all of a sudden, Mark Hildreth, who's one of our facility team leaders, shows up in something that looks like that. <laughs> kind of does one of those Tim the Toolman Taylor, like, oh, 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 sort of things, you know, like that. He comes, this thing goes, just comes right down over the top of it and goes, Breaks it all down. It's all laying flat. Two minutes. Done. Taken care of. That would have been helpful a half an hour ago, right? Thanks a lot, Mark. What's the difference? The power. You've got to have the power. And Jesus says the same is true. When you go on mission for me, when you're living your life in the every single day, don't even think about going without engaging the power of the Holy Spirit. He says later on in John 15, you can't do anything without me. I know you're smart. I know you have a good job. I know you have all these titles. I know you're secure in your bank account. But you can't do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing of eternal significance. So don't forget the power. 
if all we knew from Acts chapter 1, if that's what it meant to be the church, were empowered by the Holy Spirit, I would say the church is followers of Jesus, sent on a mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Do we happen to gather regularly? Yeah. We've gathered in car dealerships. We've gathered in Charles C. McGuire Gymnasium. Are we a church? Absolutely. Because you know what I don't see up there? Just, just going from the Bible. You know what I don't see up there? Building, worship band. Uh, what else don't I see up there? I don't see bacon, sausage, eggs, French toast, which are essentials to starting a church, um, I have discovered. All these different things. All those things are good, but the primary identity of the church is people who are sent on mission with power. If we're doing that, we're close to Jesus' heart for the church. So back to the original question, when people come to me and say, John, when are we going to build a church? I can say emphatically, without even thinking, and not even sarcastically, we already have. We already have. For the last six years, we already have in your basements and your living rooms and restaurants and coffee shops and in the streets of Des Moines and in homeless shelters and halfway houses, we have. That's the church because the church is you. And you're a good-looking church. I'm just looking out at you right now. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a good-looking church. You're a really good-looking church. And I'm not talking about buildings. You're a good-looking church because we've been on mission. So some of you are still sitting there going, whoa, time out. Time out. You've just done a whole sermon, John, here on spending all this time on how the church is not a building. So why are we spending all this time and money and energy and resources on building a building? (laughs) That is a great question. Got to come back to our mission. If this is who we've been called to be, if this is what we've been called to do, we have to reframe the question. We have to ask, what is the role of that building? What What is the role of this thing that we're building? We go back to our mission. And we have to ask, what is the most important thing as we move into this new space? Is it you being comfortable? No. Is it you necessarily getting all of your needs met? No. Is it having our church being the size or the style that you want? Don't see that up here. We start to view the building in light of our mission, and we ask, what kind of a building do we need that's going to help us be followers of Jesus who are sent on a mission, who are empowered by the Holy Spirit? And if the building can help us do that, awesome. Then I'm all in favor of buildings. But we don't just need that for the sake of having one. And so as our leadership team has been talking and thinking, hopefully you got that written down, this image of the church keeps coming to mind is when we think about a frontier, there was like these kind of mission outposts that would would be out on the edge of the frontier, And people, settlers would come in when they were lost or they were hurting or they were broken or they were in need of rest or resources. They would come in, but they didn't stay there because they needed to push outward into the frontier and be sent back out. And so when I think about our future church, that's what it's going to look like, a box with a cross on top. Um, When I think about that, this image keeps coming to mind is, yes, we want people to come. We want to be drawing people into this church from all over the place. But just as many arrows as we want coming in, We want just as many arrows going out constantly as a sending center. 
What would it look like for the lost, the broken, the hurting of Des Moines to be able to come to a place to be healed, to be loved, to be encouraged, to be comforted, and then to get back in the game and to be sent back out so that they can be followers of Jesus, sent on a mission, empowered by his Holy Spirit? That's the kind of church that I would give my life for. That's where we're going. That's what it looks like. And that sounds a lot like to me like a mission outpost. So what does the song say? Hide it under a... No. Spend all our time in the church building? No. Because then we can't reach the people that God's calling us to reach. Arrows going in and out. If these are the kind of people we're called to be, if this is the kind of building that we're called to have, what does that mean for us tomorrow? What does that mean for you this week? And I want to close with three things that I want to send you home with that you can put in your pocket and take home with you this week. When I look at the early church, I see a radical group of people. Write down the word radical if you're taking notes. Write down the word radical. Not only in Acts chapter 1, but flip the page to Acts chapter 2. I want to highlight three things for you. After they have been sent on mission, the church starts to gather. They're not only scattered, but they start gathering together in Acts chapter 2. And I see people that are radical among many in three specific ways. They're radical. Number one, they are radical inviters. Radical invitation. Over and over and over, there's stories in the New Testament of people when they're asked about who Jesus is or what this new Christian movement is about. They don't respond with a doctoral dissertation on who Jesus is. (laughs) You know what they say over and over? Three words. Come and see. Come and see. Say that with me. Come and see. Get in the habit of doing that. I have a one-year-old that likes to stand at our front door. He was having a birthday party for his one-year birthday. About an hour before everybody came, he was standing at the screen door of our front door that was kind of like facing out. And he's kind of chubby and kind of waddling, and so he's kind of leading and slobbering on the door at the same time. And he's just staring out into the street, and he just keeps going like this. (laughs) And we laugh and we giggle, and yes, we think it's the cutest thing in the world. And I go... I think that's how we should live our lives. Every place we are, every encounter we have, every person we meet, what if we were come and see sort of people? Just come and see. I don't have all the answers. (laughs) I don't have it all figured out. But I know the one that does, and I want you to meet him. Come and see. And, and, And a lot of times when we encourage you to do that, when I say invite, 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 I'm guessing for 98% of you, maybe 99% of you, you're thinking, invite to church. Invite here to a weekend worship gathering. And yes, absolutely, continue to do that. Never stop doing that. But in this new frontier that we live in, you know what come and see might be? Just develop a friendship with me. Just, I just want to invite you into my life. Because if there's anything that we know about up-and-coming generations, listen to this. They hear with their eyes. Think about that. How do I know what's real? How do I know if Jesus is real? How do I know if faith is real? Don't just tell me about it. I want to know if it works. I want to know if it's real. They listen with their eyes, and they're watching you to say, what is this Jesus thing really all about? I mean, you've heard the phrase, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That could not be more true of up-and-coming generations. I wonder if for a majority of people around us, the the question that they're asking you is, will you love me just to make me a convert or will you love me just to love me? Am I a friend 
or am I a project? That's what they want to know. And will you continue to love me even if I never believe what you do? Are you a person of radical invitation? Maybe that's why Paul says to this uh, church and some of the friends that he made at this church plant in the city of Thessalonica. Let's read it together up on the screen. This is what Paul came to the conclusion of. Let's read it together. We loved you so much that we share with you not only God's good news, but our own lives as well. We loved you enough to spend our lives with you, to invest ourselves in you. And in fact, this is one of the main reasons that we're doing these things called park nights. You heard Andy mention this, and I just want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you. As much as I want you to invite the people that are sitting around you and other church people, yes, please do that. We want as many people as we can there. If we're going to be people of radical invitation, here's my challenge. Who is the friend, family member, coworker, neighbor? Who is that person that would never step foot into a worship service? And will you invite them? Will you make a difference for that one person? Invite them. And our vision is that these park nights, it's just full. And probably there's more people there that don't know Jesus than do. And that's the point. As the light shines in the darkness. Start thinking now. Start praying now. And some of you are thinking, John, faith is more of a kind of a private, it's kind of a personal thing to me. I'm not really an inviter. That's not really my thing. It's kind of awkward. I just want to ask you this morning, who invited you? Like, why are you here? (laughs) Maybe because you saw our sign on 42nd Street. Or because somebody took the time to invite you. Because somebody has made you feel loved and welcomed here in this place. So why would you not want somebody else to experience that? One of our leaders I was talking to this past week, (laughs) just like the light bulb went on for her. She's been a part of her church her whole life, and just this light bulb went on. She said, I can't just keep coming to worship on the weekends over and over and over again. Like, I am so wired up now to constantly be thinking and praying about who is that person that God is calling me to invite. Number one, because I have been so well pursued and invited by others in my life. And number two, because God never gave up on me. Because he has pursued me relentlessly with his love. Why would we not be people of radical invitation? And not only do we see in the early church radical invitation, but secondly, I want you to remember radical hospitality. Radical hospitality. We read in Acts chapter 2, they met in each other's homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, meaning there was a lot of people there and there was a lot of food to go around. Somebody made some green bean casserole. I don't just make enough for four people. How about enough for the whole block, right? They were people of radical hospitality. Later on in the book of First and Second Timothy, one of the qualities of an elder in the church is to be hospitable. In other words, can you throw a really good party for people that don't know Jesus? That's what it meant. Right up there with being, you know, knowing your scriptures, being a person of integrity. Can you throw a really good party? When other people that don't know Jesus are around you, do they feel comfortable? That's a quality of a leader in the church. So my question for you is, do you know your neighbors? And number two, how many genuine friends do you have today that don't know Jesus? Not just acquaintances, but how many genuine friends do you have in your life that don't know Jesus? So how do we be hospitable for them? Well, we take our cues from God. 
This God that through his son Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 15 of a father that had two sons. And one of those sons says, ah, forget it. I can, I can do this on my own. And he, he takes his part of his inheritance and grabs it from his father and runs away and starts living a life for everything that he can find that's pleasurable in this world. Drugs, sex, vanity, whatever, whatever he can set his eyes on. And he finds himself empty, lost, broke, literally eating with the pigs. And we pick up the story in Luke 15. It says, so he returned home to his father. And I want you to just close your eyes and picture this scene in your head. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him, and said, we must celebrate with a feast. And now let's read the last part of the story together up on the screen. Let's read that. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. So the party began. Welcome home, says the father. Welcome home. And as much as I think Jesus tells this story for us to get a picture of the father's love for us, what if we looked at this story and says, what is, say, what does that mean for us as the church? What if we were welcome home kind of people? Do you know the reason that we get up early and set all this stuff up and set up chairs and there's people here before it's light out putting up banners and rolling out the mats and sweeping away the sidewalks and putting up signs? None of that is glamorous whatsoever. We do it because that's what happens when family comes home. We want to be a front porch kind of church. So my question for you is when you walk in those doors every single week, what's the very first thing on your mind? Man, I hope the sermon's not boring today. I wonder who's preaching. I wonder what songs the band's going to play. hope the coffee's good. I wonder if my friends are going to be there. Okay. What if the very first thing on your mind was hospitality? Who needs to be welcomed today? Who's lonely? Who needs a hug? Who's sitting in the chair by themselves? Maybe I can leave my little holy huddle for a few minutes and go to that person and befriend them is the first thing on your mind, hospitality. Some of you think, I'm just an usher. I'm just a greeter. Couldn't be farther from the truth. You know who you are? You're the father standing out on our front porch every single week here at Hubble Elementary School saying to every single person that comes through those doors, welcome home. Radical hospitality. Radical hospitality. And knowing the frontier that we're living in, radical hospitality may not just mean here on Sundays. How do you be a front porch kind of Christian? How do you live the kind of life that when people in your life are broken and hurting and lost, you are a safe place that they can come on up on your front porch and you'll just sit there and be with them and not try to fix them and give them all the nice little Christian pat answers? Or will you just say, Go kill the fatted calf. You're home. I'm so glad you're here this week. I'm so glad you're my friend. Let's have a party. Radical invitation, radical hospitality, and last but not least, radical devotion. You look back at Acts chapter 2, it says the apostles devoted themselves to Jesus' teaching. And then later on it says, and they were filled with awe. When's the last time you were just kind of sitting around at one of your small group Bible studies and, you know, you were, you were studying one of Jesus' teachings and you were sitting there and all of a sudden the room just got silent 
because your entire small group was just in awe of the person of Jesus. And nobody could speak because he's just so incredible. The biggest mistake that we will make as a church that's focused on mission is that in the midst of the mission, we'll lose the Savior. We'll lose Jesus. We'll miss the whole point and forget that he is the reason, the passion, the motivation, the drive, the fire for every single thing that we do here. When people say, oh, you know, what is Hope Des Moines? When people ask that question, what do you think they say? Oh, you know, they're the, they're the church that does that, uh, that homeless ministry. That's right. They're, they reach out to the poor. They, they do a lot of social justice ministry. They're, they're that church that meets over at that gym. I think they, they like set up and tear down every week. They're, they're that church. Oh, they have some small groups, I think. You know what my heart would long for? is for every single person in this city, when they hear Hope Des Moines, what they would say is, oh, those are the people that passionately love Jesus. And because of it, they love people really, really well. If that is what we do for the rest of our existence, success. And we can stop with the building right now. (laughs) That's who God has called us to be. If we do that, we're staying close to his heart. Don't lose Jesus in the mission. And because we love Jesus, that's why we reach out to the homeless. That's why we serve. That's why we do all sorts of social justice. That's why we have park nights. That's why we never stop inviting. That's why sometimes you have to set up your own chair. That's why we're growing and growing and growing and growing because of Jesus, because it has nothing to do with us and it never will. He's the one that gets all the glory. We keep him at the center. And so I want to end with a story for you that I think just captures my heart for us this morning. And it's a book by Donald Miller. Some of you have heard of him. He wrote this book called Blue Like Jazz. It tells a story of a guy named Alan that's sort of skeptical of this whole church thing like we've been talking about today. And he says this. A guy I know named Alan went around the country asking ministry leaders questions. He went to successful churches and asked the pastors what they were doing and why what they were doing was working. It sounded very boring, except for one visit that he made to a man named Bill Bright, the president of a big ministry. Alan said he was a big man, full of life, who listened without shifting his eyes. Alan asked a few questions, and I don't remember what they were, but the final question that he asked to Dr. Bright was, what does Jesus mean to you? And Alan said they sat there for several minutes because here's this CEO of this huge global Christian organization could not answer the question. Instead, he said that Dr. Bright just started to cry at the very mention of Jesus' name. He sat there in his big chair behind his big desk and wept. When Alan told that story, I wondered, What would it be like to love Jesus that way? What would it look like for us as a church? And maybe when we do that, all these other things fall into place, that we always keep Jesus at the center of everything that we do. I want to love Jesus like that, not only because I'm a pastor, because I'm a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, and I want you to be as well, not just one day a week, but because it takes your whole life, and he's worthy of giving your whole life to it. I want to know Jesus like that. 
And when we know Jesus like that, when we stay connected to him, that's when we have the power to punch holes in the darkness. Amen? Amen. Would you stand as we prepare our hearts for communion?